Hey, good morning, everyone. Happy Wednesday to you. This is Just Human number 138, I believe. And um, thank you for being here. I have something real quick I want to show you at the very beginning of the show. And let me move over to it. Just a real quick video. And for those who are listening only, I'll describe it just slightly, but I just want to show this. Oh, what's that? What's that? A flag with stars. Oh, look at that. That flag. It's, uh, let's see. Let's back up just a little bit. And, uh, we're behind the stage and and he's going to show us real quick here. There's a lot of light. There's a lot of light behind the stage. There's a lot of light right here behind this flag. And this flag has stars. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, look, there's the little, uh, little tunnel thing right here. Little, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's like a little gazebo thing. I don't know what to call it. A little tent that Trump's going to walk through and, uh, you know, cast a shadow on him as he goes in and out right there for his appearance. So canopy, that's a good word for it. Mama Jedi. Thank you. Yeah. So just wanted to show you that. That's all. Thought some of y'all might need to see it. Anyway, good morning. Glad y'all are here. And uh, let's see. We got some. Uh, we got some ECA news. We got some uh, some Weiss news. Just a little bit. We got some special master news, which a lot of people were hitting me up about yesterday. And um, tiny bit of. Well, actually, we have some major. Danchenko news that has not is not getting enough attention. I covered it in the second hour of my show on Monday, and then I covered it again in the bonus hour that I put up on Locals and on Substack. And I'm going to hit on it again because these are major, major developments, and I'm not going to spend as much time on them as I did um, on Monday. But... I just, I just think these are the biggest booms to come out of the Danchenko case so far, and I can't for the life of me figure out why I'm the only one who's picking up on them, it seems. I've, I've checked all the normal places that of people that follow Spygate and Russiagate and follow Danchenko, and I feel like I'm the only person who picked up on this, and then I shared it with Brian Cates, and, and like talking to Brian about it, I was like, I was almost thinking Brian was going to tell me Oh, no, Kyle, this isn't as big of a deal as you think because this, this, and this. Or we already actually knew this thanks to this and this. You must have just missed it. And I would be like, oh, no wonder nobody else is, you know, zeroing in on this and making it a big deal. No wonder I'm over here on an island about it. But I shared it with Brian Cates and Brian Cates was like, holy shit, this is a, how come nobody's talking about this? (laughs) So me and Brian have had a bit of a back and forth about it. And, uh, it, which has been great. And Brian and I are both like, 
oh my gosh, this is huge. And still trying to, you know, quantify and, and like, these are like new, new areas of the puzzle or new pieces of the puzzle, um, have, have been discovered. And I just don't, I don't know why it's not getting more attention. So I'm going to do my best to give it some more attention. Um, thank you everybody who's watching over on rumble, foxhole, Twitch, D live and telegram. Really appreciate y'all and appreciate all the support you give to the show, your Substack subscriptions, your coffee money, uh, your subs to these various platforms. I also want to give a shout out to everybody who joined my locals in the past week or so it has, I'm not sure if it's exactly at 500. Um, let me hit on this real quick. I am at, where is it at? 452. Okay. I have 452 members on my locals, which is awesome. And locals, the way it works is there's like a tier system and you can't like buy a tier. You can't like upgrade your community by paying them money. You have to have so many people on your, uh, or in your community over there. And once you do it ups your tier and going to a higher tier allows you to stream more often and stream more hours. And right now, okay. Right now I have 450 people over there and I have, I don't know how many supporters. I actually missed that. Um, where is that at? Look, it goes 40 supporters. So thank you everybody who supports me over on locals. It's the way it works over there is that if, and I'll just, I'll show this to y'all real quick. So locals and rumble are linked together and I don't know exactly what they're going to do with it, but it's like rumble isn't set up well for a community, but locals is set up for a community and you can't, they, they, the way locals works is they have these tier groups. There's basic starter and pro, and you have to have so many supporters to upgrade your tier. You can't just like buy a subscription and up it like on rumble. That's what you can do. If you want to stream more or have more storage on rumble, you just pay them more. Um, like you pay them 10, 15, $25 a month or whatever. And it gives you more, but on rumble, you have to have so many supporters. So right now on rumble, I'm in the basic tier and the basic tier only allows me to stream 30 minutes at a time and only allows me to do that five times a month. I think that's dumb. I don't understand why locals has it set up this way. Like how you're supposed to grow your streaming over there it, when you're limited and you're constrained in this way. So this is why I don't do live streams over there is that 30 minutes at a time is like, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. So that's why you're seeing me only put my stream links over there for like my show, my replay links. But that's also why with the bonus hour I did on a Monday, 
I decided to upload it because I can upload recorded videos to locals. So what I've been doing with my bonus hours is that I put the bonus hour on my Substack and I put it on my locals. So if you're already in my on my um Substack, you know y'all are y'all are getting the bonus hours and you're getting the the podcast version of the show. If you're on my locals, then you get replay links and then I'm also putting the video for the uh the bonus hour. So that's why I'm like that's what's going on with my locals. I get questions about it and I know that other people I know I know that other people are like like some people are really taking advantage of locals and they got a, they've built up a big community over there and it works for some content creators and it works really well for them. For what I for what I do, locals doesn't work well for me. And even if I had check this out, even if I had 500 plus supporters over there, I still could only stream an hour and 30 minutes at a time and I could only do it 20 times per month. Um, so I'm kind of like, like locals just isn't a good fit for me, but locals is merging with rumble. So I'm hopeful that rumble and locals are going to merge their products and it'll become a better fit for me. So anyway, I want to, I just wanted to, I get questions about this from time to time and I just wanted to explain it and show y'all exactly what's going on with locals and why I'm on it. And I, everybody who's joining it, you know, like nothing's, nothing's behind a, a paywall. So if you want to join it, if locals is something that you like, then go ahead and join my locals and I'll, maybe I'll develop it more. Um, I've considered doing local streams only that are 30 minutes at a time and like maybe doing a Q&A session where, cause locals does have a option where you can stream there and um, you have a support, you have a chat that's only you and the locals community. So I've thought about doing some Q&A streams over there that allow me and y'all to just chat and I'm not doing a presentation, which takes me forever. <laughs> um, but anyway, I want I just wanted to hit on that because I do get questions about it. I like locals. It's just not a good fit for me. And even if I even if I was in the pro tier, it still wouldn't be all that great of a fit for me. Yeah, HQ Lion, if I do a 30 if I do a 30 minute Q&A over there, I may only get one or two questions in the way I ramble. But that's okay. <laughs> Okay, um, let's lead off with what, actually I've already led off with something else. Let's now go to the special master news because a lot of people, I know that's what y'all are most interested in right now. Open all of these up. So yesterday was the day that the special master summoned the OJ attorneys and Trump's attorneys to appear in court before him in New York. And they had their first hearing before this hearing happened. They had them submit these filings. I better pull these up before they appeared. They had to uh, submit 
some documents basically. Uh, let me make that's the notice of appearance. Proposed agenda, proposed agenda. Oh, by the way, there is this this thing right here. It's been struck. This emergency motion. And this is just some BS. There's been there's lots of BS that has yet not lots, but there's been several filings here um that are just BS. It's it's just junk. Don't pay it any attention. So the government came in, DOJ, and they issued a 113-page filing. This was the day before. This was on 9-19. And most of what is in here, the vast majority of it is majority is stuff we've already seen. It's the affidavit. It's the search warrant. It's other filings that we have read and covered on this show. But the first several pages of it are their, their proposed agenda for the special master. And they go over the mechanics of document flow that they would like because there's approximately 11,000 documents that were obtained through the execution of the search warrant. And so they have an idea of how they want to go about presenting those documents to the special master. They want to keep the classified documents from the special master. We'll see how that works out for them. They are still appealing to the 11th Circuit. And Trump's team came in and they simply gave a four-page filing, which is their proposed agenda for the special master. And theirs is actually a lot better. It has a nice, nice little spreadsheet type thing here, a nice little graph. And uh, of course, they want the special master to be able to see the the classified documents or declassified documents, according to Trump and his team. So yesterday was the day that they met and Adam Classfield was one of the people that is in or was in the courtroom. And he sometimes does good reporting, sometimes not, but it's his reporting that most outlets are running with, and they're running with just a couple, um, just a couple quotes from it because they play into the narrative that the mainstream media wants to present. But the hearing didn't last that long. I'm just going to read Classfield's take on it. Trump versus U.S. hearing is about to begin. Special Master Judge Deary is presiding. Deary on his task and time crunches Special Master, quote, I'm going to do the best I can with the time available to us. DOJ wants Deary to finish well before Thanksgiving. And Trump wants Deary to go all the way past Thanksgiving, basically more or less. Uh, DOJ is in a big hurry. Trump's team is not in a big hurry. Deary remarks, this is not a criminal case. This is a civil matter. There is a, there is a criminal case at play here, of course, but... Trump in his lawsuit against the U.S., it's not criminal. This is civil. That means plaintiff Trump has the burden to establish a need for relief. Need for relief being he want, he needs to get something back, get the documents back, get the paperwork back. Um, Trump, the burden of proof is on Trump. Trusty, one of Trump's lawyers, comes up. Trusty wants to have a look at all of the documents. So Trump's team doesn't just want the special master to see all the documents. Trump's team wants 
them. They want to see all the documents as well. Judge Deary summarizes him as saying he doesn't know now, now for now, whether there will be a real dispute over the docs. Before the hearing, the judge pressed them previously to disclose declassification arguments with specificity. So far, Trump's team has not presented their case that argues or proves or seeks to prove that the documents are in fact declassified. Now, we all have reason to believe that they are. And Trump himself and people around him are claiming that all of these are declassified. But they haven't presented in court their argument for that, to prove it in court. Now, the, for the DOJ, Julie Edelstein gets up, says they'll explore further appellate options if the 11th Circuit denies their stay. Remember that they've applied for a stay from the 11th Circuit because they want all the documents they have to do with their criminal investigation and the the declassification classification investigation. They want to be able to continue all of that work and use them as they want while this special master thing goes on. The DOJ wants the special master to be limited to returning property that they don't need and attorney-client privilege documents. They don't want the special master doing any other work, and that's their position. Now, here is the big quote. This is what everybody is running with. Deary presses Trump's lawyers on what he's supposed to do. The government provided prima facie evidence of classification, i.e. the markings. Prima facie just means on its face, that as as the judge is looking at the documents, as the judge is looking at the folders that have markings that say classified, okay, on the face of it, these documents are classified. That's what he has to go with. He's a judge and he has to be impartial and he has to go with what is presented to him in front of him in the courtroom and in the filings. And right now, all he has are documents that have a marking on them that says classified and gives a category of classification. He so far doesn't have anything else that tells him otherwise. Trustee asserts, trustee is Trump's lawyer, asserts his litigation position isn't gamesmanship. He just needs to see the documents first. Deary needles dryly that trustee wouldn't engage in gamesmanship and trustee adds earnestly that he wouldn't. To be clear in saying that's the end of it, Deary isn't issuing a ruling. He's pressing trustee on why that shouldn't end his calculation. Trustee explains the reasons why he wasn't, he doesn't want to disclose their position on the declassification currently. Deary says he understands their right to state it at this time, but quote, you can't have your cake and eat it. Trustee accuses Nara of being highly politicized. Deary on Trustee's view of Nara, quote, I think you're painting them with a broad brush, brush there. But he says he, need, he's, he sees no need to speak to them at this time and will notify Trump's lawyers as he does. So, or if he does. Deary doesn't want to involve Nara at this time, doesn't see a need to. Trustee says he has top secret clearance, which is a key issue here. Edelstein for the DOJ gets up and says it's the current executive branch's decision only. So not the previous administration, Trump's administration's decision. This, this goes to this current administration. 
It's their decision as to whether the documents are classified, not the judicial branch. Edelstein adds that trustee's top security, top secret clearance doesn't end matters. He'd need to have a need to know in order to see these documents. Trustee calls it astounding that the government would say the former president's lawyers wouldn't have a need to know. Which is fair. There seems to be an obvious need to know. Hearing is wrapping up. So that is all that happened in this hearing. And law, this is law and crime, which law and crime, they, does, they get a lot of flack and it's well-deserved. But he added a little bit more clarification in here. Deary said, the government gives me prima facie evidence that these are classified documents. As far as I'm concerned, that's the end of it. And that is what all the media ran with. The MSM was dunking on Trump's lawyers. I saw the usual suspects from the lefty intelligentsia dunking on Judge Cannon and making remarks about this is how a real judge does it. Judge Cannon needs to take notes. Finally, this special master thing is going to backfire on Trump big time, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're reading way too much into it. Like I said, all that's happening, what's happening here is that the judge has only been presented with the documents and they have markings that say classified. He's turning to Trump's lawyers and saying, do you have an argument you want to present against them being classified? Can you prove that they are declassified? And Trump's lawyers are saying, yeah, we could, but we don't want to do it right now. And here's why they don't want to do it. Trump's lawyers responded, we respectfully submit that the time and place for affidavits or declarations would be in connection with a Rule 41 motion that specifically alleges declassification as a component of its argument for return of property. Otherwise, the special master process will have forced the plaintiff to fully and specifically disclose a defense to the merits of any subsequent indictment without such a requirement being evident in the district court's order. So Trump's people are saying, look, we're going to argue and we're going to, we're going to prove to you that these documents are declassified, but we don't want to do it right now because we want to make that argument as a piece of our bigger argument for the return of the property. So we're going to hold out for now. And the judge ends up telling them, okay, that's fine. That's your right. Let me see. Where is that? Where he says that that's where they have the joke about, they have the joke about gamesmanship and they're going back and forth about that, joking with each other, the personality of Deary coming through. Well, I already read it over there, but he tells them you, that's your right to do that. And, this is what this is my big takeaway from this. Just ignore the fake news media and what they're saying and all the reactionism. What I hear Trump when I read that Trump's people want to make an argument for the return of property, and as part of that argument, they're going to prove that these documents are declassified. That tells me that Trump wants 
these declassified documents back. So what is going to be the net result of this whole trip that we're on with this? It's going to be that Trump has these D-class documents. DOJ takes them. Trump forces DOJ into court. In court, it is proven that these documents are legit. In court, it is proven that these documents are declassified. And then by a court order, Trump gets the documents back. And now he releases them. Because after all, they've just been proven one legit in a court of law. And they've been proven declassified in a court of law. I think that's one of the one of the purposes of what he what they're doing right here. So that's my take on the hearing yesterday. And now it's up to Deary to do some of this work going through this. And uh, I'm not sure how often we will get updates on this trial from now on, or this case, not trial, this case from now on, um, which will probably be good because I kind of need a break from it in a way. I'm sure we'll get some updates, but a lot of this stuff is going to be Deary going through this material and saying, okay, this is attorney-client privilege. Remember we looked at the categories the other day? Judge Cannon said, you know, there's categories where there's property that needs to be returned. There's stuff that's presidential record. There's stuff that's classified or declassified, whatever. I'm really interested in what Trump's the big, I think the next real big moment, I mean, there could be others that I'm not thinking of. I haven't thought about, but the next big moment is really going to be this argument from Trump's lawyers as about, and they're going to try and prove they're declassified and they're going to use rule 41 to try and get all the property back. That's going to be huge. That's going to be one of one of if not the biggest moments of this whole thing, this whole case. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, that's that's the take on this. And we got I got something else from it. Um, where is it? Here we go, Matthew Whitaker. He had some comments to make. Let me grab this. In this, um, we're learning now. Um, that the DOJ, I'm going to read this to you in real time with you for the first time. DOJ told an appeals court that Trump cannot articulate any plausible claim for return of documents seized by the FBI. This is coming in per Bloomberg. What, if anything, do you make of yeah. that? Yeah, Jillian, it's good to be with you tonight. Uh, as you know, the DOJ has appealed um, the judge's order uh, saying that they can't use the classified documents that they obtained in their raid at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, today, earlier today, the, the Trump administration opposed, uh, the Trump team opposed that, uh, that appeal. Uh, and this is the response about 11 hours after the Trump's uh, opposition. It's the rebuttal. And it just, it, you know, summarizes very quickly their position, which is, uh, as you just read, which is that you know they the DOJ believes that the Trump team has no uh, viable argument. I, I disagree with that. I, I think this process that Judge Cannon has laid out with the special master that includes uh, the alleged classified documents, I think, is the appropriate 
process and you know the the, the team is already working very hard uh, you know to get the to get this resolved well and so Trump's team today at this meeting in Brooklyn New York indicated that they are preparing for an indictment or at least preparing for the potential of an indictment um, seemed a bit of a sort of about face for them in terms of at least you know they said in front of this um, special judge subsequent indictment they use those words when writing to Deary and talking to Deary what do you read into that is it a new strategy what does it tell us well obviously um, you know defense lawyers are always concerned that their client is is going to open themselves up to some exposure some criminal uh, exposure and so you want to make sure that you don't do anything that interferes uh, or, or or sends it that direction. So it seems very appropriate that they would argue uh, to that end. And you know, it's going to be very interesting as they set up this database for the review of these 11,000 documents, how they handle these classified documents. Which are, there's about a hundred of them that we know of. Yep. And Deary essentially ordered Trump's team today to, to provide evidence that he had declassified these documents, as he has been saying, and as his former White House staff have yep. been saying now for a couple of months that he did. So far, though, it looks like no evidence has been forthcoming. Um, do you think they're going to make a move? Or is it smart to not well, provide evidence if they have it? Or are they withholding it? Like, what, what do you think is going on behind the scenes? Well, I think what's going on behind the scenes is obviously that's a, an important card. That if there uh, is a is is this case is going to a criminal indictment, you're not going to want to play that card until you have to. And remember, the way they're going to have to prove that is they're going to have to bring individuals in or documents in that that right. support their case. And so, you know, they don't you don't want to subject those witnesses to cross examination until you need them. And so, I think they're just trying to be as cautious as possible and not lay out any defenses. And you know, the other thing, Jillian, is they don't even know what these approximately 100 documents are. And so it's right. hard to sort of present the defense to those documents when you don't even know what's contained in those documents uh, and, and how they may have been declassified along the way. Um, you can de It is, this, this is, there's going to be a battle here, a battle within a battle for Trump's attorneys to get to see the documents. And they're trying to leverage, I think they're going to try and leverage the judge to say, look, we have a need to know. You're asking us to make a to make an argument in this court that these documents are declassified. And DOJ is saying, no, they are classified, or at least they're marked classified. We can't, how can we make an argument that they're that they're declassified if you won't even let us see what the documents are? So that's going to be a battle that's going to have that's going to play out here pretty quick, I believe. Um, I want to point out. Let me see if you can go back. I'm going to mute this because I I don't need to hear them talking. I want to show something. I want to see if y'all caught this. Where was it? There we go. There we go. Flip that sign around again. His sign says nuclear secrets. Where's? Oh come on. There it is. I love, I love these protesters. 
that are that are here chanting indict Trump and whatnot. And this one has a sign that says no one is above the law. I love that because Trump Trump is going to prove that. <laughs> this was always a witch hunt for her. And his whole administration, everything Trump has done for not everything, but Trump's a major component of Trump's identity and his work, his life work is proving that no one is above the law in bringing people to justice. And it's just, it's ironic. It's a lefty nut job holding it up and thinking that this is about Trump and that Trump's going to be indicted. And that's what his argument is. And that's, you know, whatever, but yes, we can agree on this. No one's above the law and Trump hasn't broke the law. They're never going to indict him. That's not a thing, but the lure that the possibility, the, the bait, the idea that maybe, maybe this time after six or seven years of the walls closing in that maybe this time on the 117th try, they're finally going to get those walls to close in and they're going to get Trump. And Mermaid Miss K made the, made the brilliant comment over in Twitch chat. She's exactly right that all of this circus, this, this notion that Trump might finally get indicted and everything Trump is doing to fight this and what his team is doing in the media is going to draw all the attention from conservative incorporated and mainstream media. It's going to draw all these eyeballs to what's happening here. And then boom, D class, boom. We're going to find out some stuff that the media never wanted to report on. It works. It works like this over and over and over and over and over again. And I, for the life of me, cannot figure out why people on our side continue to allow themselves to be drawn into the, 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 the silliness that Trump is going to get indicted. I can't, I just over and over and over again, people on our side get lured into thinking that, oh no, this time they're finally going to get Trump. Oh no. And it never happens. And over and over again, but that's okay. More eyeballs on more more eyeballs on it, the better. Uh, one of the things I suspect that we'll see introduced as evidence is this memorandum from Trump that he signed on January nineteenth, twenty twenty one, declassifying certain materials related to FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation. And with Judge Deary being the special master pick. Um, Deary saw and signed the fourth FISA warrant on Carter Page. So wouldn't it be interesting if Deary ends up getting a look at some of the stuff that he wasn't presented when he approved that FISA warrant? And then he's like, you know, that's, 
that's a pretty qu that's a pretty quick way to tick off a judge is for that judge to one he's already found out he was lied to by DOJ and by the FBI agents who presented him with information to get that that FISA warrant. He's already, he already knows. I mean, he's he's seen the media. He knows that he was lied to when he signed that that things were withheld from him, but now if he gets a chance to look at it in this courtroom, that's some uh that's just that's the simulation really uh I don't know. It's history rhyming for him, I guess. This is one of the things I'm sure that they will submit as their as part of their evidence. I also wonder if they'll have people like Cash Patel and a couple others testify in court about it. Um we'll see. Like I've been saying, I'm looking forward to it. Now there is another bit of news related to this. Donald Trump made this appearance on Newsmax the other morning. Keep hearing about uh, video recordings at Mar-a-Lago that would have captured uh, the raid. Have you had conversations about releasing that footage? Yes, uh, we have, and they would rather have me not do it because of the safety of the FBI agents that swarmed the place. And I don't think they wanted to swarm it, if you want to know the truth. I have a great relationship with people in the in in the FBI but they didn't we are very precise and and you know it's not a pretty picture either it looks like uh, a military coup it's not a pretty picture you know but they didn't want they wanted to uh, for the safety of the people that are on the footage it's very clear and for the safety of the people that are on the footage they would they've asked us not to uh, not to put it out but we do have it yeah Trump isn't going to put out the footage, and it has always been my opinion that he was never going to release this footage. This whole time and him talking and Eric Trump and others saying that they have this footage, we have it all on tape, it's terrible, we're going to release it, and everybody will see what they did to beautiful Mar-a-Lago. It was always a troll, and so many people missed this, but I guarantee you that MSM did not miss this. Who has video of FBI agents at Mar-a-Lago raiding it? Trump does. Who doesn't have video of FBI agents raiding Mar-a-Lago? The mainstream media. Who would most like to have that footage? The mainstream media. If they had that footage, we would never stop seeing it. We would see video of FBI agents going in and out of Mar-a-Lago every single day from now on for a dec for the next decade or more the media would play footage of FBI agents quote unquote raiding Mar-a-Lago every single day they'd play it morning lunch and dinner they'd play it in between commercials you they would be they would never stop they would never stop playing it Trump has always been trolling them by teasing that he would release this. And when he's doing that, they're salivating because they want that footage because they will use it against him. They will use it to program people that he is a, he is a criminal and the FBI is onto him. Trump's not going to give them free ammo. He's always been trolling them with this.
And there were a lot of comments on this post saying, well, he could just blur out their faces. That would, they would still use it. There's no gain. There's no gain from him releasing this footage. There's only a loss. It would be, they would become ammo to be used against him. Now, he he gave a lot of hints. Let me scroll down because somebody I had a back and forth with someone and I ended up list listing all the ways that Trump was communicating in that short clip because he said several things. Here we go. I was talking to uh, Tom Smith and uh, I wrote that Trump is always speaking to more than one audience at a time. And that's what he's doing in this small clip. It's only a couple minutes. In the clip, he's trolling the media. He's praising and recognizing law enforcement. He's the most pro-law enforcement president we've ever had. Trump is hat-tipping to his own history as an FBI asset. And he's hinting at devolution. He's also framing narratives about the raid. He does all five of those things in just those couple minutes. Listen to it again. He does all five of those things. Mr. President, we keep hearing about uh, video recordings at Mar-a-Lago that would have captured uh, the raid. Have you had conversations about releasing that footage? Yes, uh, we have, and they would rather have me not do it because of the safety of the FBI agents that swarmed the place. And I don't think they wanted to swarm it, if you want to know the truth. I have a great relationship with people in the, in, in the FBI. But they didn't. We are very precise. And, and, you know, it's not a pretty picture either. It looks like uh, a military coup. It's not a pretty picture. You know, but they didn't want They wanted to, uh, for the safety of the people that are on the footage, it's very clear. And for the safety of the people that are on the footage, they would, they've asked us not to... Uh, not to put it out, but we do have it. Yeah. That's what he's, that's what he's doing guys. He's communicating all of those things. All of those things. He's brilliant in that way. And once, once you like, once you learn to listen to him like that and hear those things, it really, it really opens up and you start understanding how he communicates more and more. Um, it's really impressive. It's also why he was, you know, the left and a lot of others, the, the real polished political uh, swamp creatures and everybody that's, that's uh, like, I don't know, like box, the, the, the uh, synthetic politicians that are trained not to speak that way. Um, they can't, they can't even hear what he's saying. All right, so Margot Cleveland, who I who I like very much, but I think she's been completely wrong about her interpretation of the the Mar-a-Lago raid, but it's okay because most people are almost pretty much all of conservative incorporated is has is on the bandwagon of oh no, DOJ bad, they're out to get Trump. This is terrible. They're going to, you know, whatever. I'm y'all know if y'all been following me, y'all know that that's not my take whatsoever. And I actually find it kind of silly, um, to be honest, but that's okay. That's the narrative we're going with. And that's the narrative that provides some shielding to future events. So I understand its purpose. 
But she wrote this little thread. Let's play a little what if experiment. What if special master reviews documents marked classified and none are still classified? That destroys the entire national security risk peddled by the DOJ. I actually disagree with that, and I'll say why in a minute. That destroys the entire national security risk peddled by DOJ and leaks to media. Yes, they will pivot to obstruction, but they were given given it everything the government says. It's understandable, though, searching misdocuments misdoc- out some 11,000. Um, it's understandable, though, searching misdocuments out some... So I don't know what her sentence means right there. Now, could there really be obstruction? Sure, but it's doubtful that Trump would get charged with obstruction. On the other hand, if the review by the special master shows documents marked classified remain and should remain classified and are damaging the national defense, national defense, that would be devastating to Trump, as would solid evidence of obstruction. Yet it is DOJ who knows what is in those documents that, de- that, that demands the 11th Circuit not let the special master and Trump's attorneys see the documents. There is only one logical reason why Biden administration opposes that review, and anyone with a brain and common sense knows it. I disagree. With full respect, full respect to Margot Cleveland, I disagree. Although I really like this what-if scenario. I think this is a good one to consider. There's a criminal investigation here, not into Trump. But the raid is a component of a criminal investigation. We know this. And that criminal investigation has to do with three violations. Uh, Espionage Act, Act Obstruction, and uh, Obstruction and Destruction, I believe, is what it is. I do not... And have not from the beginning thought this was about getting Trump. I've always thought this was part of the witch hunt to get Hillary Clinton. And the, the documents, the what's being described as national security risk, what's being described as having been done with the documents. I don't believe it is the documents themselves. I believe it is what the documents give evidence of. I'll say again, I don't believe it's the documents themselves. I believe it's what the documents give evidence of or evidence to. And I think the national security risk is present whether the documents are classified or not classified. Because if we get to the point where we are getting presented evidence of Hillary Clinton's crimes with her server or something similar. There are national security implications that must be considered, such as we find we get evidence of Hillary um, sharing or, or giving to a hostile nations or selling to hostile nations information about such and such program or top secrets, or class compartmented information, whatever. There would have to be a national security risk assessment done to see, okay, 
if we file this in federal court, that this is what Hillary Clinton did with this document and this is what program she exposed, we have to consider our allies. We have to consider our forces. We have to consider what information this is giving away by this, by this document, this piece of evidence being put into a federal court proceeding where the public can see it. All of these things have to be considered. And I think a big part of this national security risk assessment is that as they are investigating this, they have to consider how this evidence is handled and what consequences there might be for it being public. I don't think the national security risk is just as plainly described in most of con conservative incorporated media. Um, obstruction, Trump, they can't get Trump on obstruction. Trump has not obstructed. We know this. Trump has been cooperating with NARA and with DOJ this entire time. This entire time. He has been cooperating. His lawyers have been meeting with them. They've had the FBI at Mar-a-Lago. They've given video footage to the FBI when it was subpoenaed, et cetera, et cetera. There is a dance going on. There's a legal dance that's happening in between. They've asked for extensions on things, but it seems more to me like just adjusting the timing of when certain actions happen. And in the end, getting the precedent set of FBI serving a subpoena and search warrant on the property of a former president in order to get evidence that is needed for a criminal case, a grand jury that they have impaneled. That's my take on it. And I, like I said, full respect to Margot Cleveland, who is very good, but I cannot, I cannot put my brain. Well, I said this way. Too many, too many things about this whole scenario don't fit this being about getting Trump. There's too, there's too many things that don't fit this being about getting Trump. And there's way more pieces of it that do fit this being about getting Hillary Clinton or getting some other swamp creatures. So that's when, when, when puzzle pieces fit neatly one way and they don't fit so neatly the other way, I'm going to go with the former instead of the latter. But everybody's been programmed, guys. I mean, this is, everybody's been programmed for years, for years to think that the FBI and the DOJ are out to get Trump and never has been. Okay. Um, let me make sure there's not another filing over here because I feel like there was something. No, there's not. Just in case you see this filing going around, there's this massive one that is uh, has to do with human rights and all of this stuff. Some people were sharing it with me. It's like 184 pages. It's a nut job. It's just a nut job filing something. So if you see that going around, it's it's just BS. Yeah. Hey, Dwayne Cates. Good morning. And also good morning to Rattler Gator. 
Um, you're Dwayne Cates. You're spot on. Every time, every time that supposedly Trump is under investigation for his crimes, what ends up happening is crimes of his enemies are uncovered and they get prosecuted. <laughs> every it's been this way every time for forty years. Why do people think it's going to be different this time? <laughs> Okay. Let me let me move on from that. Let me move on from that. I've made my point. Let's go to let's see what time is it? Okay. Let's go to Danchenko. We have I'm I'm going to cover I know I've covered this before. Um but I, I just can't, I just can't get over how big of this news is, how big this news is. We have major, major developments in the Danchenko case that have changed. They, they've changed the, the, this case. This case is, it's now different. I'm still quantifying just how big of a change these are. As I pointed out to y'all on Monday and shared again from Danchenko's lawyer's own filing, Mr. Danchenko was interviewed dozens of times. That's new. We didn't know that. We did not know that Danchenko had been interviewed dozens of times. We knew of a half dozen times he had been interviewed. It turns out he's been interviewed dozens of times, according to his own attorney. Mr. Danchenko has been interviewed dozens of times, and during the course of those interviews, particularly when asked specific questions about Dolan, which was not often, Mr. Danchenko, one, told the FBI about the Moscow trips with Dolan, two, told the FBI that Steele knew of Dolan, three, told the FBI that not only was Dolan going to work with Olga Galkina, but that Mr. Danchenko himself had introduced them, and four, told the FBI that Dolan had connections and relationships with high-level Kremlin officials, including President Putin's personal spokesperson, Dmitry Peskov. Indeed, when agents drafted a December 2017 communication in support of opening an investigation into Dolan, they included the information Mr. Danchenko provided them as support for opening the investigation. Who... Was Danchenko being paid to inform on? Looks to me like it was Charles Dolan. Charles Dolan is a long time Clintonista. Charles Dolan has been a Clintonista for decades. Charles Halliday Dolan Jr. He is currently a board member at the International Foundation for Electoral Systems. Do you think he's doing good work there for, for us and for elections? I doubt it. President Bill Clinton appointed Dolan to two four-year terms as the vice chairman of the United States Advisory Commission on Public Diplomacy. 
Dolan also served as executive director of the Democratic Governors Association, where he supported the election and re-election of Democratic governors in all 50 states. He's been active in political campaigns. Dolan served as an advisor to Senator Clinton's 2008 presidential campaign in Iowa and in New Hampshire, and was a senior communications consultant for Senator John Kerry's presidential campaign in 2004. He was also state chairman of the Virginia Clinton-Gore campaigns in 1992 and 1996, and he was a member of President Clinton's Presidential Exploratory Committee. This is a Clintonista inner circle person. He has worked with the Clintons since 1992 at least. And he is now at this electoral place, which I need to research. And I believe when I shared this with Brian Cates, he told me that they had actually been looking at this foundation um, as part of the, 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 the second pit. So there's a tie in now. There's a, there's a tie in now between what's going on in the Danchenko trial with this, with Dolan, and then our, the investigation and the digging that Anons are doing and True the Vote is doing into our elections. Now, there's more. There's more. So we just learned all these things. That Danchenko gave the FBI on Dolan. So what does this tell you? What does this tell you guys? It tell you it tells you that that Danchenko was not retained as a CHS in order to cover up. Remember that was the immediate take that Spygate researchers and Conservative Incorporated ran with. The Black Pillars immediately said upon learning this news last week that oh, well obviously the FBI made him a a source in order to hide him and so that we would never find out about him. It was a dirty trick by the FBI. Grr, grr, grr. No. They interviewed Danchenko over three days in January of 2017. And they decided to make him flip. And they were able to get him to flip on a Clintonista, on Charles effing Dolan. But Danchenko kept lying to them. Danchenko lied to them about some other things. And because of that, he's being charged by Durham for those lies. So Danchenko was flipped, but he had some stuff he wanted to keep from the FBI and he got caught. There's some aspect of this that he was hiding. And that's what he's on trial for by Durham. And it's, I think it's a pretty good point that um, someone just made. Where, where did it go? Someone just made a point in one of the chats 
that they that f that they didn't make him they didn't make him a chs to hide him from investigators they made him a chs to hide him from clinton i think that's a pretty dang good point and i missed i missed whose chat it was i've already i've already lost it but i think that's a great point by making Danchenko a, a chs they didn't just hide him from congress or from others that were sleuthing on this they hid him from the clinton machine zias thank you zias the ape great point But like I keep saying, man, the black pills that people have swallowed on this are preventing them from seeing clearly what is happening here with this trial before it's even started. What's happening here with this case. Now there's more. There's more. Chuck Dolan is going to testify against Danchenko on behalf of the Durham team. From this filing from John Durham a few days ago. Mr. Dolan's August 20th, 2016 email to the defendant clearly states that he received information from a, quote, GOP friend of mine who provided information both contained in the political article Dolan attached and additional information not contained in the article. Indeed, the email states, quote, she, this, the purported GOP friend, also told me that Corey Lewandowski, who hates Manafort, still speaks to Trump regularly and played a role. He is said to be doing a happy dance over it. It is also of no help to the defendant, Danchenko, that, as will become clear through Dolan's testimony at trial, Dolan fabricated the genesis of this information. Okay, this is what this tells us. Danchenko flipped at least on Dolan, an inner member of the Clinton circle. An investigation was begun into Dolan sometime between December... Some, wait, where'd it go? Sometime between December 2017 and now, an investigation was started into Chuck Dolan. Apparently that has developed to the point to where Charles Dolan has been interviewed by Durham. I would not be surprised to learn that Charles Dolan has testified in front of a grand jury. And now Dolan has flipped on Danchenko. So we have Danchenko flipping on Dolan, Dolan flipping on Danchenko. Durham has their interviews. He's got the transcripts from their interviews. He's got recordings. He knows exactly what these guys have said under oath. And he's called Dolan to testify against Danchenko. This is anybody feel like does anybody feel like this is a mob trial yet? Because this is just like a mob trial. You got people flipping on each other. It's amazing. It's amazing. So we're going to get to hear from, Dol Dan from Dolan at trial on the witness stand. And don't you know, you remember, remember when Robbie Mook got up and testified at the Sussman trial and revealed that Hillary Clinton approved the plan for Alpha, for the Alpha Bank uh, scandal hoax, I should say. I think this is going to be like that. 
There's more. From Danchenko's filing. Mr. Danchenko himself intends to elicit from the government, from government witnesses, their general knowledge of Mr. Danchenko's prior investigation. That would be the one from 2011 timeframe. But the details of that investigation are not relevant and more importantly are unproven and would, and would involve multiple levels of hearsay to establish the basis for the investigation, let alone prove the allegation and resulted in no negative action or conclusion. Indeed, the investigation was closed and to undersigned counsel's knowledge never reopened even after the special counsel's investigation and indictment. Contrary to the special counsel's insinuations and allegations, here's the kicker, we expect the jury will hear that Mr. Danchenko was a vital source of information to the U.S. government during the course of his cooperation and was relied upon to build other cases and open other investigations. Plural. So it seems that we're going to have presumably FBI agents on the stand on behalf of Danchenko who are going to testify that he was a vital source of information and they relied on his info in order to build other cases, plural, and open other investigations, plural. I wonder what those are. Now, the angle here for Danchenko and his lawyers is that they're going to try and make him seem like a good guy. That he was cooperating. He gave them so much information. It was really important. Please, jury, go soft. Please, jury, go soft on our client because he has helped the FBI so much. And he just slipped up a little bit. He misspoke. His lies, you know, he, he wasn't really lying. He just, he was being ambiguous. He wasn't being as specific as um, maybe he should have been. And um, yeah, so, you know, and his lies really didn't matter, guys. It was, they weren't really material. So just go easy on him because after all, he's been a help to the FBI. Even the FBI says he's been helpful. That'll be their angle, and that's understandable. But other cases and other investigations, I wonder if we will learn what those are. Or if we will at least get some clues as to what other investigations or cases Danchenko gave information on, because it seems now it's not just Dolan. Now, there is a materiality question. This is definitely going to come up, as it always does when it comes to lying that did the lie matter or not? And this is the angle that Sussman's attorneys will, were able to push in their trial and get the DC jurors there to go soft and be like, yeah, he lied, but it didn't really matter because, um, you know, orange man bad. So it's okay because we're leftists and the ends justify the means. So it didn't really matter that Sussman lied. Here is why Danchenko's lies matter. Notwithstanding, when the false statements were made by Mr. Danchenko, had the defendant been truthful about his purported interactions with Sergey Million, the FBI and DOJ would have been under an affirmative obligation to inform the FISC, the FISA court, 
at any time during the pendency of the surveillance of Page or thereafter about information that would have under, undermined the statements it had made in four FISA applications regarding the information allegedly provided by Million. The rules of procedure for the FISA court are, if the government discovers that a submission to the court contained a misstatement or omission of material fact, the government in writing must immediately inform the judge to whom the submission was made, one, the misstatement or omission, two, any necessary correction, three, the facts and circumstances relevant to the misstatement or omission, four, any modification the government had made or proposes to make and how it will implement any authority or approval granted by the court, and five, how the government proposes to dispose of or treat any information obtained as a result of the misstatement or omission. What this means is that had the FBI been informed if they had known that Million was not the source, if it wasn't for Danchenko lying about his sources and about where he got certain information, or if he had just come clean during the course of this fiasco, they were required to go inform the court. So his lies kept the FISC, kept the FISA court in the dark about this. It, his lies matter. There's, this, is, this is slam dunk. This is slam dunk materiality on the million related lies because it absolutely changes what the FBI is required to do, what DOJ is required to do once they have information and it has, as it relates to FISA warrants. They have to go inform them of the new information or of the changes or omissions or whatever. And his lies prevented that from happening. Now, here's one of the ways that Durham has Danchenko absolutely busted on his lies about the phone call. Let me open this up bigger. Right, there we go. The government, that'd be Durham, also plans to introduce evidence which reflects that every phone call received by the defendant, Mr. Denchenko, from July 21st, 2016 through August 16th on the phone number that he provided to Sergey Million was from individuals other than Million who were known to Danchenko, either from his contacts list or through other means. And thus, Danchenko's contention about a Anonymous caller is not supported by the evidence. Footnote. The contention that the defendant may have received an anonymous call from someone he believed to be million on an internet-based application is also not supported by the evidence. Indeed, at no time did the defendant inform million that he could be contacted on an internet-based application to say nothing of the particular application million should utilize. So Durham's got him dead. I mean, dead in the water on this one. And this means the fact that those phone calls, Durham knows those phone phone calls came from someone on Danchenko's contact list means that, uh, Durham knows who called.
because of course he does. He's John H. Durham. I bet he knows who called and what they had for lunch that day and where they were calling from. I mean, Durham always has the receipts. So, and like I said, Danchenko flipped on Dolan. But whoever he's hiding with these phone calls, whatever's up with this lie about these anonymous callers that he thought were million, that's who he's trying to protect. Whoever's on the other end of this phone call is someone he's trying to protect and he didn't want to tell the FBI about. And I put a poll up on Telegram and on True Social. Um, but Fiona, Fiona Hill was leading. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure Fiona Hill won those polls as being the person on the other end of the phone call. I would like to believe that's who it is, but I don't think it was. Um, I think it's probably a Russian contact. Um, I think it's, it's probably a Russian contact, although there is a chance that it was his ex-wife. I could picture, could be, I'm trying to think of reasons he would hide that. So maybe he didn't want to bring up, I could see an argument where he didn't want to reveal his ex-wife being on the end of the phone call. So if that comes out, I would not be surprised because you can kind of understand why he would hide that a little bit. Um, like maybe he didn't want the FBI interviewing his ex-wife. Um, you know, I can kind of make sense of that. Um, and also him thinking, Hey, this is useful. I'll go ahead and bring up Sergey Millian's name and say it was probably, I thought it was Sergey Millian because after all, that's what he wanted. He wanted the FBI to be drawn to Sergey Millian for some reason. So these are the major, major developments from this case. And if you want to hear me talk about it more, I covered it in the second hour of my show on Monday and in the bonus hour that I posted on Substack and Locals. If you are interested in this, I recommend you catch those. Now, speaking of Sergey Million, after Monday's show, I got a, a, a direct message from a genealogy girl and um, from Rattler Gator. And they both sent me some information on Million. And the net result is that I have more questions than answers. Um, as, rec as recently as last week, I was thinking, oh, Sergey Millian's a totally innocent victim in all of this. He had nothing to do with any of this. They just, they used him as a patsy. He was convenient because of his, his heritage and because of his connections and because of his, uh, his Russian American chamber of commerce thing that he had. And then he was loosely associated with the Trump campaign. Um, he had some connection with Papadopoulos. So he was convenient um, target for them and a convenient patsy and an innocent victim in all this. And that's what I have long thought. And that is the most common take on all this. It wasn't for a while until the Danchenko indictment dropped and it exonerated, um, seemingly Sergey million. 
but I have Sergey right now. I've I've decided because of what we've learned through some of these filings and because of Millions Twitter behavior recently. Um, the fact that he's not going to testify. In fact, he gave a list of demands to the DOJ. If if they want him to testify, they have to bring his fan, have to bring him and his family to America. They have to provide U.S. Marshal protection, and he should he gets to have his own military buddies protect him. Um a couple other things, and then he'll testify for Durham against Danchenko. I'm, I'm just, I've decided to move Sergey Million into a gray category right now. And I'm still, I'm still looking at him. Um, I thought about presenting some of what I found today, but I, I think I've decided not to because I'm not really going to get anywhere with it to like a, a, a complete analysis on it. So, I'm thinking about maybe Friday. I just want to dig a little bit more and find what I can gather evidence of. But as I said, or as, and as I've, I keep saying about this Spygate stuff, all we've had to go on are various like house investigations and FOIA stuff, FOIA documents, uh, comments and interviews by like, uh, John Ratcliffe and Devin Nunes and what Trump has t told us. Um, you know, we're all trying to figure this out and there's spy versus spy. There's foreign intelligence services versus, versus our own intelligence services. There's the Clinton crime syndicate involved. There's all of these shadowy entities and players, and we're all trying to figure out who's who and what they did or did not do. Who's bad. Who's good. Who's in between? And so I'm very willing to move someone I previously thought was white or black and put them in, into a gray area. Uh, I'm, I'm very willing to consider each player or reconsider them uh, when given new information. And so the end-all be-all for me, though, is a filing from Durham or a filing from Horowitz. Those things... Like, like once it gets put into a court document, I'm like, okay, that's, that lets me know exactly what's going on with this person. Um, and that's what I really lean. Those, those are like, those are solid. Everything else is a lot of inference, hypothesis, theory, and then bread, you know, breadcrumbs here and there, dots here and there that we're trying to connect. So Sergey, for me, I've got a big question mark over him. Now, if I had to, if I had to put a dollar down right now, I'd go with, okay, Sergey Million was an innocent victim in all this. But I do find myself asking, why was he chosen? Is it just because he was a convenient target? Or is it because he was supposed to play a role after having been targeted? For example, Sergey Million immediately went on mainstream media and gave interviews after the Steele dossier stuff came out. And Sergey Million was in St. Petersburg with Oleg Deripaska near the same time that Danchenko and Dolan 
where we're in uh, Moscow and we're gathering up the, uh, the false allegations for the Steele dossier. Um, what really tripped me up and got me to move Sergey into kind of a, like put a question mark over him was him saying on Twitter that he would not come to America and that he was worried the FBI would arrest him. And then that combined with in these filings, learning that Sergey, there was an investigation of Sergey million that he had fallen under investigation. It made me think, Hmm, did Sergey million play some other role that we haven't figured out. And he thinks that Durham did figure it out. And so he doesn't want to come here without assurances. So uh, that's, that's just how my mind is working with him right now. And I'm going to save what I have. And I really appreciate genealogy girl. I see you over on rumble. Um, thank you very much for, uh, sending me what you did. And also Rattler Gator. Thank you very much for sending me what you did. And this is, this is good. There's, I think there, yeah, I think, I think there's more, there's more to Sergey million than, than we have, or that has been commonly discussed. So I will present what I have found probably on Friday. And, uh, yep, that's right. That's where I'm at on it. So, and, uh, somebody reha or ria thank you very much R awesome rumble rant man you you bought me coffee for a month thank you very much i really appreciate it speaking of coffee yeah i don't got much left thank you very much thank you everybody who uh buys me coffee and does the rants and subscribes y'all y'all make this show possible and uh Man, I, I love doing this research and presenting this stuff to you. So um, I'm glad y'all get something out of it and, and decide to support it in the ways that you do. Nothing nothing I do is paywalled. Wherever you're getting, wherever you decide to consume the content, it's always going to be free. I don't want to put anything behind a paywall. And uh, if, if you're interested in the bonus hours, make sure that... Um, you sign up for either my Substack or my locals and you'll get my bonus hour stuff there. All right. We have just a couple other things for that's Durham related. It's a real quick clip from cash Patel. John Durham is doing the work. The attorney general failed to do. And the cover up is as bad as the corruption itself. And Chris Ray is the worst FBI director in U S history for allowing these criminals, these government gangsters to take down our law enforcement agencies with politics. And thankfully, John Durham is showing the light on it. And this is a great place for me to leave it. But it's go we are just starting that journey to educate America and the world uh, about what John Durham's doing. Stay tuned. That trial's coming up in a couple of weeks. And I think you're going to get a few more bombshells of reporting as to the depths of depravity from our select few at the FBI and DOJ. All right. Now, I I have a different take on Chris Ray than Cash does, but I know I know the narratives that Cash needs to present. Uh, but I agree with him. I think that we're going to find out more about more impropriety, uh, more bad behavior within the FBI uh, throughout this Danchenko trial. Um, 
I've always thought there were parallel investigations being run and I'm, I think we're going to find out more about those at this trial. And I'm glad, I'm glad to hear Cash mention that. Now, my friend Brian, we've been talking a bit about these bombs from the Danchenko filings and he made this comment on Cash's uh, comments here. He says, select few. What if the top goons didn't realize they had a quiet revolt on their hands long ago and whistleblowers have been working with the Durham SCO's office since even before he was appointed special counsel. How do you open up an investigation into people like Rodney Joffe and Chuck Dolan way back in 2017 and it never leaks out? Even though both these guys are hardwired into the corruption network. How do you put the fear of God into anybody that could have leaked any of this years ago, but didn't? These are great questions from Brian. And I, I've said before, I think there's a war within the FBI and has been for a long time. I think that good guys have been winning that war for a long time, despite news to the contrary. And one of, one of the pieces for evidence I would cite of them winning that war is no leaks. Nobody knew Chuck Dolan was under investigation back in 2017. Nobody knew Rodney Joffe had been under investigation. Nobody knew that Danchenko had flipped on Dolan. Nobody knew that Danchenko had been interviewed dozens of times. I think one of the ways they put the fear of God in those people is they brought in John Durham. You know, one of the, one of the text messages that always stuck out to me between struck and page was when Lisa page texted him and said that she had a, a meeting an interview set up that scheduled with John Durham. And she was going to try and put it off as long as possible, I believe. And struck's response. There wasn't much to it. He was, if I remember right, he was just kind of like when, or he was like, okay, but he, there weren't any comments on it in the text messages. And that always stuck out to me because I, th I think that's like, I, I think, I think that was a text from Lisa page saying, uh Oh, and I think that that non-response, that lack of response from Struck was like, uh-oh. The John John Durham is known for having investigated and busted FBI agents before. One of the ways you put the fear of God into agents who may have done something wrong is you bring in someone who has busted FBI agents before and have him set up interviews with these agents. And Brian commented, what if they've had eyes on Chuck Dolan since early 2017, following him and cataloging all the stuff he's been involved in, besides being the source for the Steele dossier, I mean? If that's the case, and I'm starting to think it is, no wonder Chuck Dolan is going to testify on behalf of Durham. 
I bet what's happened is that that Durham has interviewed Chuck Dolan, and I bet Chuck Dolan has appeared before a grand jury, and Durham has transcripts and knows what he's going to say. And I wonder if um, Dolan is trying to earn as many brownie points as he possibly can with Durham before an indictment is unsealed against him. There is a filing, a new filing in the uh, the Durham or the Danchenko case. Let me make sure it hasn't hit the docket. Okay, it just hit. It was on court. It was on a uh, pacer last night, uh, right here. But it's now hit the docket, so I don't have to pay thirty cents for it. <laughs> I can open it up here. <laughs> so it's not that it's not that big of a deal, um, but it's just a little bit of an insight into the classified documents within this case. Classified documents are going to be part of the Danchenko trial and defendant Danchenko by and through his counsel hereby provides notice regarding his supplemental SIPA section five filing that has to do with the handling of classified documents. Counsel for Danchenko and the special counsel have continued discussions regarding the use of classified information during the upcoming October trial. Based on those discussions, Mr. Danchenko does not intend to provide further notice of additional classified information that he would reasonably expect to introduce at trial. At the time of this filing, the special counsel has produced a portion of the declassified materials that were previously litigated as a result of Mr. Danchenko's first SIP of Section 5 notice. It is expected that the remaining requesting mater requested materials will be declassified and produced in time for use at trial. However, because some materials have not yet been produced and the defense therefore has not been able to determine whether the special counsel's proposed summaries and redactions are acceptable, Mr. Danchenko may ask leave of the court to file a supplemental SIPA Section 5 notice should it become necessary. All parties continue to act in good faith to resolve any classified information issues without the need for intervention by the court, and it is expected that no further litigation will be necessary. Nevertheless, the special counsel has informed undersigned counsel that he will not object to the filing of a renewed and supplemental SIPA Section 5 notice should the need for it arise. So, in plain language, what's that mean? what that means is that counsels on both sides are working together to declassify what is classified information or summarize it or redact it so that Danchenko can use it at, at trial, but they haven't gotten everything. There still are delays with them receiving the declassified material they want to use in time for the trial, and they may need to make a, another filing. Now, before on a previous show, I had linked together that there were some interesting, timeline-wise, there was some interesting correlation between the SIPA filings in this case and the Mar-a-Lago raid and the events before the Mar-a-Lago raid. Correlation does not equal causation. I am not positive that they are related, but we have this Mar-a-Lago raid stuff having to do with classified slash declassified documents. And then in the Danchenko trial, they're also talking about classified versus declassified documents. And there keeps being these delays in this case and 
I, I still have this idea that it's possible that some of what's going on with the Mar-a-Lago raid is related to this case. And I'm not sure of that. It may be too bit of too harebrained, but there is definitely timeline wise some correlation. And you know, we have this filing right here talking about classified versus declassified documents, and it comes on the same day that there was a hearing in the raid case with the special master, and DOJ is still trying to keep the, the documents away from Trump's attorneys and away from the special master. So I'm not, it's still on my mind, that possibility. Okay, what time is it? 11.05, excellent. All right, let's talk about something where I was right. So far, anyway. House and Senate panels are going to start this week considering changes to the 135-year-old Electoral Count Act. House and Senate committees starting this week will begin work on measures to change how U.S. presidential election votes are counted and certified, including possibly amending the 135-year-old ECA and clarifying the vice president's role in the process. The House Rules Committee will take up the Presidential Election Reform Act with a floor vote as early as Thursday. According to The Hill, January 6th committee members, Liz Cheney, blah, 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 introduced the plan on Monday. Their legislation seeks to clarify the role of the vice president in certifying the election as solely ministerial. It also aims to raise the bar for senators to object to election results. The Senate Rules and Administration Committee announced Friday it will work on a bipartisan bill later this month to revamp the 1887 law and clarify what happens during presidential transitions. Still, both committees have little time to draft final legislation as they, to get it, and to get it passed before the November 8th elections. This is exactly what I said would happen. This is exactly what I have said. The Trump-Pence kayfabe, the fake feud between Trump and Pence was all about making happen. Tricking Trump's enemies, tricking the Democrats and the rhinos into changing the ECA to make the vice president's role ministerial to clarify their role and to raise the bar for the objections needed to challenge an election, uh, the electoral count, the election results, and it's going to backfire massively on them. It's a good thing. And my friend Karma Patriot has also always understood this from the very beginning. She has understood that it was always a fake feud with the goal of flipping the script on Trump's enemies. All of the stuff that has gone back and forth with VP Pence saying Trump is wrong about the Electoral Count Act, Trump saying Vice President Pence had the power to send the electors back. He, he says he didn't, but he does. Pence saying under... Under the Constitution, I had no right to change the outcome of our election, and Kamala Harris will have no right to overturn the election when we beat them in 2024. Get it? That's what it's always been about. And I really like what Karma points out right here. Just like that, this, this fake feud between Trump and Pence 
allowed Trump and Pence to take complete control of the narrative when it comes to the ECA and it comes to certifying the election. They took complete control of it because their, their enemies cannot resist this whenever someone who's supposedly Trump inner circle turns on Trump. And for them, they're like, oh, Mike Pence has turned on Trump. Awesome. We can, this, this is, that's what they want. And then they baited them. And what, what they baited them into doing is reforming the Electoral Count Act and passing the Modernization Act. <clears throat> and just like Mike Pence said, it's going to backfire on them in 2024. As Karma writes, the Electoral Count Act is vague, and there's a loophole that a corrupt vice president could use to overturn an election against the will of the American people and their state rights to control their electoral votes. By Trump triggering a public feud with Pence, he drew attention to the loophole and scared the Democrats into thinking he might still use it. So now they are going to reform the act to make sure the vice president's role is clear. The VP should only play a ceremonial role in certifying the count. So Trump and Pence just played on the deep state's biggest fear and forced them to close the loophole. And once closed, it'll never be a threat to elections ever again. Or if states decertify before an election, before the next election, and the 2020 election is flipped from Biden to Trump, then Kamala will not hold the power to overturn the flip. There is a Sun Tzu quote that comes to mind in regards to this. And it's something like, and thus the expert in battle forces his enemy to make the moves he wants them to make is not, and is not moved by them. Something like that. That's what's happened here. He has forced Trump and Pence together through their fake feud have forced their enemies to make the moves they want them to make. Thus, thus the expert in battle maneuvers his enemies, forces his enemies something and is not moved by them. Something like that. This is this. <laughs> it's so great. And what trips and what trips MAGA up, what trips MAGA up with this feud has always been that what one what they wanted to happen on January 6th didn't happen. That includes me. It tripped me up at the time too. And two, that Trump is playing the heel to Pence's face. Trump is wrong on the ECA. Trump is wrong on the vice president's role. And he's wrong on purpose in order to bait his enemies. And that throws MAGA for a loop because we want Trump to be right about everything. And Trump generally is right about everything. Okay. He generally is right about everything, but in this scenario, he needs to play the heel in order to bait his enemies. And it's worked brilliantly. Okay. Something else I am right about. <laughs> Forget, forgive me, fam. Forgive, forgive me. Okay. But it, I, I feel, it feels good to be right about some stuff. 
<laughs> so I've been saying since last April that this will happen. And it will. Senate Republicans seek special counsel authority for prosecutor in the Hunter, Hunter Biden criminal probe. More than 30 Senate Republicans asked Attorney General Merrick Garland to give the federal prosecutor, that'd be Weiss, who has been investigating the Hunter Biden special, Hunter Biden special counsel protections and authorities. The group, which includes Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, wrote that the move is warranted because the criminal investigation involves the president's son. If Garland honors the request, it would give Republicans and Democrats in Congress insight into the grounds for any future decision on whether to prosecute Hunter Biden. Here is their letter. We, the undersigned rights request of Merrick Garland, that United States Attorney David C. Weiss be extended special counsel protections and authorities to conduct the Hunter Biden investigation. During your confirmation hearing, you promised to keep politics out of the Department of Justice. This promise has not been kept. On October 4th, 2021, you unleashed DOJ's National Security Division and Federal Bureau of Investigation, among the other concurrent components, on millions of concerned parents across the country. That letter keeps coming back up. It's almost like it was planned who were exercising their First Amendment rights to be involved in decisions about their children's education, including mask mandates, school closures, etc., etc. We have received hundreds of pieces of correspondence detailing how your memorandum chilled constitutionally protected speech. It also helped us win the elections in Virginia, by the way. It made parents turn out to vote in Virginia and vote Republican. Just saying. To date, you have failed to rescind this memorandum, despite the fact that it was primarily based on false predicate, the now disavowed National School Board Association letter. You have also taken numerous other steps that have shown the unfortunate politicization of DOJ under your charge, including targeting conservative states and legislatures for common sense ballot integrity, championing radical pieces of legislation that would federalize elections, and authorizing unprecedented search warrant on the former president's home and current political rival. Unprecedented is one of my favorite words of 2022. Inexplicably, DOJ has neglected to take measure, to take measurable efforts to protect Supreme Court justices. They actually did protect them, but let's just go with this. Pro-life advocates and pregnancy resource centers, particularly in the wake of the leak of the draft of the Dobbs versus Jackson's decision. For months, radical abortion groups coordinated outside the homes of Supreme Court justices to intimidate and influence the justices in the discharge of their duties, duties a, con- a clear violation of the law. Violent extremist groups like James Revenge and Ruth Sintas have incited violence in our communities, etc., etc. And on June 8th, an unarmed man was caught, blah, blah, blah. Thank God he was caught, blah, blah, blah. Certainly, unhinged comments like this from our nation's top law enforcement official contribute to political division in our country. As you know, the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Delaware, led by U.S. Attorney Weiss, has been investigating Hunter Biden. There is no way of knowing the entire scope of the investigation, but evidence seems to be mounting that Hunter Biden committed numerous federal crimes, including but not limited to tax fraud, money laundering, and foreign lobbying violations. 
Indeed, Senators Grassley and Johnson have conducted an investigation for several years that has resulted in the public disclosure of facts that support those criminal concerns, including the disclosure of financial records showing the Biden family's close financial connections to the communist Chinese government and questionable foreign nationals. It is clear that Hunter Biden thrived off a pay-to-play culture of access to his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, in exchange for financial compensation. Under Department of Justice regulations and federal law, you have the power to provide special counsel authorities and protections to U.S. Attorney Weiss. Given that the investigation involves the president's son, we believe it is important to provide U.S. Attorney Weiss with special counsel authorities and protections to allow him to investigate an appropriate scope of potentially criminal conduct, avoid the appearance of impropriety, and provide additional assurances to the American people that the Hunter Biden investigation is free from political influence. Recent news reports paint a concerning picture of the handling of the Hunter Biden investigation. As detailed by Senator Grassley, highly credible whistleblowers have come forward to detail a widespread effort within the FBI to downplay or discredit negative information about Hunter Biden. Senator Grassley has also detailed allegations that the FBI shut down investigative activity and avenues of information relating to potentially criminal information on Hunter Biden before the 2020 presidential election. Instead of encouraging FBI and DOJ whistleblowers to report crimes and promote government transparency, you took the inexplicable step of chilling lawful whistleblower activity. Indeed, on August 30th, on the heels of whistleblowers approaching members of Congress, you issued a memorandum prohibiting DOJ and FBI employees from communicating with senators' representatives, congressional committees, or congressional staff without advanced coordination, consultation, and approval by OLA. I covered that on my show. Um, weaponizing, Weaponizing the news. Such a restriction is contrary to law. It undermines the constitutional responsibilities of members of Congress to oversight, to provide oversight of the executive branch. Clearly, this memorandum will discourage and deter whistleblowers from sharing information to report potentially criminal activity and fraud, waste, and abuse by the government. Given the politicization of the DOJ under your watch and the importance of avoiding any appearance of impropriety, the undersigned request that you provide U.S. Attorney Weiss the full protections and authorities of a special counsel. This is one important action that you can take that will go a long way in restoring faith in our government institutions. This will happen. I don't, I don't like, I, I, some, I sometimes like tell y'all, you know, this is what I think will happen. I, I don't like, I try not to make like predictions, but I really am predicting that this will happen. I, 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 I'm putting my money down. This will happen. What has, what they did, what Trump's enemies did to him is going to be done to them. And it's going to stick. And having 30 Republicans sign on to this is awesome. But what's more awesome is which Republicans it is. It's Cornyn and Grassley and McConnell and Johnson and Graham and Scott and Cotton and Lankford and Holly and Rubio and Lee and Cruz and on and on and on. It's all the people that you would need 
to have signed on to this in order to make it actually have some power. And I thought, or I said in a show a couple months ago that I thought this would happen in August or September, but if not by then, after the midterms. And since it hasn't happened yet, it's going to be after the midterms, I'm sure. Now, my friend Burning Bright has a really good description of this. He, he agrees with me, and uh, I like the way he characterizes it. He says, I really believe we're heading for a mirror of the first Trump term, complete with the investigations, special counsels, and media frenzy. Only we're going to get actual indictments. The collective mind has been primed. The molds for collusion, tax fraud, etc. have been set, and they will be filled. He is right that the collective mind has been primed for this, and it's something that's extremely important that America, the minds of people, are prepared for this to happen. And what has prepared them? It's been the weaponization of news of DOJ. It's been Timothy Tebow being revealed for what he did to conceal Hunter Biden's crimes and now being under investigation and him resigning. It's been the, the, the letters and the memos that were mentioned in what I just read. It's been the Mar-a-Lago raid, even though I don't think it's about Trump in any way. I don't think Trump is the target of it. The narrative warfare around it is very important for priming people's minds and priming public perception of DOJ and FBI. And all of these things that have happened over the past year and a half are adding up to tons of leverage that Senate Republicans now have to push Garland into appointing wise special counsel. And, and as I covered on previous episodes about my theory with this way back in April, when I really pushed this, that it makes all the sense in the world for Garland to do this. It's the right thing to do as far as ethics, as far as DOJ policy, as far as what a special counsel is actually for, what the reason the special counsel exists as an option. This is exactly the right scenario for it. It's, it's, it's more justified for a special counsel now, in this case, than it was for a special counsel to be appointed to look at Trump's campaign, even though I believe there were there's reasons for that. There. I think that's all part of the trap. But just narrative-wise in the collective mind, this is more justified. You can't argue against it. And as Stu Gibson brings up in Twitch chat, this also takes pressure off of Garland. Garland is hated by both the left and the right. And the right is mad at Garland for their reasons, and they project all sorts of things onto him. And the left does the same thing. The left is mad at Garland for not going far enough. They're mad at Garland because he hasn't arrested Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> They're mad at him because he hasn't arrested Jared Kushner. Um... Garland is under pressure from both sides. And one of the things he's under a ton of pressure over is the Weiss investigation into Hunter Biden and, and, jo and James Biden. And this move frees Garland from that. 
Garland gets to say, I'm following DOJ policy. This is exactly the right scenario for there to be a special counsel. All the reasons for it are correct. There's been a lot of whistleblowers lately and DOJ and FBI are taking a lot of flack. The evidence justifies it. And like everything justifies a special counsel. So Garland can just can do it and he can step back and say, I'm taking, I'm putting this up. This is what's right for the department. This is what's right for this administration. This is what's right for this investigation, et cetera. It's, it's perfect. It's perfectly led up to this. I feel very, very confident that we will see this happen. Okay. That, that is my show today. I have, I have something else to get into, but I don't have enough time to, to, to spend the time to spend. Um, I don't have enough time left to really get into it the way I want to. So, Thank you everyone for tuning into the show today. I'm going to on a, uh, on Foxhole, I need to release these scratch offs on rumble. Thank you very much for the rants. I really appreciate it on Twitch. Thank you for the subs. Everybody watching on D live. Thank you. Everybody watching on telegram. I hope you like watching over there. And, um, it's a good day. It's a great week. I'm excited for some more Danchenko news. We have, I mean, this, this is so, this is so huge. I'm going to clip out, I'm going to clip out what I covered from the Danchenko trial that we're learning and put that on my clips channel. It's rumble. You can search just human clips on rumble or go to my link tree. You'll find the link to my rumble channel and you'll, you can all of the, I put links from the show. I'll definitely clip out the special master Danchenko stuff and the ECA stuff. Um, so if you if you have some people you think might enjoy my show, but it's difficult to get them to watch a two-hour episode, share share a link with them. I'm gonna keep researching Sergey Million for Friday's show and a few other things. We have some Ukraine and Russia news. I may I may dab into that on Friday's show. And uh yeah. See, we'll see what else develops. Y'all, y'all make sure and stay positive. Remember, we're not gonna win every battle but we are going to win this war. And I feel like we've gotten major wins that our side is not quite recognizing yet. I, I think that this Danchenko news and the news with Dolan is just absolutely massive. You know, people are constantly bringing up, when are we going to get to Clinton? When are we going to actually get some wins that, bring us closer to arresting her or somebody close to her. It seems like it's so far away, but we took a major, major leap towards getting that witch. We now see evidence that it happened in 2017. We have real evidence that starting in 2017, DOJ FBI was looking at members of Clinton's inner circle, Chuck Dolan, and launched an investigation into him and used information from Danchenko who they had flipped and were paying as a source. It's huge. It's been going on for five plus years. 
but your favorite news show isn't going to tell you about. The mainstream media is not going to report on that. Conservative Incorporated isn't going to report on it for now. They'll only do that when it's safe to do so. But when you read the court filings, it's, it's right there. It's right there. Durham's running a mob trial or he's prosecuting this like it's a mob case because it is. And that's become very, very clear recently. Trial starts October 11th, if I remember correctly. I will cover every day of it, just like I did the Sussman trial. I'm very much looking forward to it. All right, y'all be blessed. Have a great Wednesday. I'll see you on Friday.